The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast, Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the good fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we're celebrating Julia's birthday, and as we've done in the past, we're marking the occasion with some of our favorite Julia moments from the last few seasons. Stay with us to join the party. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. It's time again to celebrate Julia's birthday with some of our favorite Julia moments from the last few seasons. What would be her 109th birthday is on August 15, 2021. We've all been through a lot since our last Happy Birthday Julia episode in August 2020. But once again, Julia moments highlight how much Julia continues to mean to those who met her and even those who never did. Her legacy truly does endure. The pandemic has made us appreciate the cooking skills we had or motivate us to improve them, just as Julia encouraged. She was right, we're going to need them at some point. At the same time, boy, we've missed restaurants and come to understand how much they're important parts of our communities. They are much more than just places to eat, and when they are closed or gone, we feel the loss. And we really felt it when we were doing the dishes for the umpteenth time. These collected Julia moments fall into three groups. Recollections from those with personal stories about Julia's impact, stories about how much Julia still teaches us today, and some very moving accounts of how Julia continues to be a guiding light for so many. So take some time to laugh, reflect, and relish these Julia moments. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really... You just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? As we do in every episode, we listen to Julia's immortal words to introduce our Julia moment. Today, it's many Julia moments, our favorites from our last three seasons. And as loyal listeners know, at the end of every episode of Inside Julia's Kitchen, we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. Our first Julia moment comes from episode 101. Walk expert and award-winning author Grace Young captures how much Julia meant to her 
in a charming remembrance of Julia's humility and generosity. Grace, what's your Julia moment? So when I was growing up in San Francisco, we only ate traditional Cantonese food. And one day I saw Julia on television in her show, The French Chef, and I was completely mesmerized. And every week I would send a self-addressed envelope to WGBH in Boston and get the recipe. And in fact, when Julia came to San Francisco, when I was about 14 or 15, she did a book signing at the White House department store. And I got my father to drive me to the department store. And all the ladies who lunch were standing in line in their like Chanel suits, or they were (laughs) all, you know, they were like women of a certain age with gold uh, bracelets and they all had their hardbound copy of Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And I showed up, I didn't know what a book signing was. I showed up with my paperback of The French Chef and Julia and Paul both signed it. And my father even took a photograph of me that day, but that photo has gotten lost over the years. Oh no. Yeah, and then fast forward, and that's the reason I got into cooking. Um, I then started studying French cooking when I was uh, 14. There was uh, a local teacher named Josephine Oraldo in San Francisco, and I just was fascinated with cooking. And I actually started exploring French cooking first and didn't really get back to my roots until I was about 30. And that's when I started working on my first cookbook, uh, The Wisdom of the Chinese Kitchen. And as I was writing, as you mentioned earlier, I spent a long time working for Time Life Books. I was the test kitchen director and director of food photography. But when I finally wrote my own book about my family's recipes, um, I kept on thinking about Julia. And I think in the uh, intro to uh, French cooking, she says that she wanted to take the bugaboo out of French cooking. And that's exactly how I felt writing my first book, that I felt as though people were really intimidated by Chinese cooking and, oh, how do I handle a wok? Or, oh, I've never done stir frying before. So I just wanted to make it more approachable. And when The Wisdom of the Chinese Kitchen was published, the um, AIWF, American Institute of Wine and Food, had a special Chinese New Year's banquet, and they invited Julia and me and my parents. And they couldn't decide who Julia would sit next to because all the heads from across the country came from New York, from you know Texas, whatever. So they put Julia between my mother and me. Oh, and wow. as you said... Julia loves Chinese food. (laughs) (laughs) And so my mother, as is the uh, tradition, you always serve the guests next to you. And my mother used to always overdo it, right? And I would sometimes be mortified, like, mama, stop it. You know, like, people can only eat so much. But but the more mama kept on giving Julia, the more Julia was eating. Julia (laughs) ate everything, (laughs) And at the end of this meal, all of a sudden, I see my father reaching his hand out towards Julia and offering her a toothpick. You know, those little containers that they have Mm -hmm. in a Chinese restaurant. And I'm wanting to like scream out, no, Baba, no, don't do it. (laughs) And she takes it. And my mother takes it. And my father, and all of a sudden, I look, 
and the three of them all are using a toothpick with their hand covering their other hand and they're picking. <laughs> That's so and at, great. And at the end of the dinner, she says, well, Grace, we must stay in touch. And I said, of course, Julia. And she said, well, um, do you have my contact info? And I said, uh, uh, no, Julia. And she reaches into her bag. And I thought, I'm going to get Julia Child's business card. And she brings out her checkbook. And she gave me a deposit slip. <laughs> <laughs> and Wizard of the Chinese Kitchen had just been published. And she said, and I gave a speech that night. And I was able to acknowledge her impact on why I was standing there. So that was amazing. And then she said to me, because the book had just been nominated for two awards for ICP, she said, I hope you win. And I said, I hope so too. So that's a great Julia moment. Wouldn't it you is. Say? And you do a pretty good Julia as well. I like that. <laughs> but, and, and what a wonderful thing to have you full circle working with us in the National Museum of American History. And I think these things you're doing between everything from the walk therapist satire about not being intimidated by walk cooking and the, the Chinatown coronavirus project are all things that I, I think Julia would be delighted that you've done. So thank you so much, Grace. Thank you, Todd. And um, yeah, you've just been terrific today. And you're right. Julia would want us to support Chinatown. So everyone's got to eat Chinese food right now. <laughs> Precisely. Our next Julia moment is from Chef Stephen Phelps from Sarasota's Indigenous Restaurant, who, never having met Julia, told us in episode 116 how he feels a connection to her via his mentor, his uncle, also a chef, in a Julia moment that captures Julia's good humor. Steve, what's your Julia moment? <laughs> so I learned most of my cooking from my uncle at a very young age who was a galley chef in the military. <laughs> and uh, one week I had to stay at his house. My parents were divorced, so my mom would take me to his house all the time. And I was rummaging through his shelves and I found a Julia Child cookbook. And it was kind of, you know, a little ratty. It didn't look like it'd been used very often. It was it was the mastering of the the art of French cooking. And I asked my uncle, I was like, what's this? It's a pretty cool book. And he goes, well, that's my Bible. And I was like, well, it doesn't look like you've read it very often. And he goes, nope, that's what really got me. He said, no, that's what really got me started into doing a lot more French cooking while I'm in the States because he was in Germany and France for many years. And I'm like, well, you know, tell me about it. And of course, a lot of those books didn't have pictures in it. So I'm just reading through it. And he was trying to explain to me who Julia Child was. And I was great. This is amazing. Cool. And I had already been, you know, envious of my uncle and trying to impress anything I could by cooking, whether it's a baked potato or whatever. I thought I was doing good. And then one night I was watching Saturday Night Live with my uncle and they did a skit which was supposed to be a skit that was matching a Julia Child uh, cooking demonstration. And I said to my uncle, I said, is that Julia Child? He goes, that is not Julia Child. That is not her. She would never like this. And I can't believe this is on television. And I said, 
but she seems so funny. <laughs> he goes, she is funny, but that is not Julia Child. I want you to read the book and I'm going to continue to educate you on who Julia Child really is. And I'll never forget that because that Saturday Night Live skit and my uncle telling me that that's not her was, will always stick with me forever. That's so fun. And Julia loved that skit. She didn't, she wasn't offended at all. But I think what's happened, I'm glad you can distinguish them because I think in cultural lore, <laughs> there are moments from that skit that people mixed up and, you know, have contributed to these views of what Julia did and didn't do on TV that people are adamant about. And oftentimes when they say things, I'm like, I think you're confusing it with what Dan Aykroyd did, not Julia. But, but people are, are, persuaded that that some of these things happen that no one can find a record of yeah that was a great moment and i'll never forget that and you know those are the kind of things that stick in your head and as i continued cooking through my life it was so cool to go back and grab those books off the shelf and relive them and you know there were many more cookbooks after that that she had put together of course and uh yeah, a really good memory of not only my uncle who who's not with us nowadays but of her as well well, I love also the thought that there's like, you know, Julia had even military chef fans who were adamant about about her impact. Yeah, absolutely. And and apparently that was the uh the premise for a lot of my uh my uncle's, you know, menu items and and things across the board. Last in this set is from baking expert and pie advocate Erin Jean McDowell. In her Julia moment in episode 104, Aaron captures Julia's pure joie de vivre, citing all the joy Julia could bring, notably on David Letterman. All right, Aaron, what's your Julia moment? Well, I have to just start off by saying that, of course, Julia is such an inspiration to me. And um, I definitely, my grandma and I would watch her uh, cooking shows. And I loved more than anything else the with, that when she would make a mistake, she would own up to it and, more importantly, plow through. Um, I learned a lot from that, but I have to say my absolute favorite moment was this time that she was making an omelet with David Letterman. <laughs> and oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, she was making an omelet with David Letterman and she asked him to uh, eat. She said, oh, you can eat the whole egg and offered it to him, trying to get him to take a bite of the whole egg shell and all. And he, as he was sort of, teasing her about that, like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. In the time that it took for him to make his joke retort, she'd already made the omelet. (laughs) (laughs) And I I loved that, that whole thing of just like, I can make it faster than you can blink. I mean, I've watched her, many videos of her making that omelet, uh, which she can do so lightning quick, but it was just something so funny about it. Like a, a comedian, somebody who is very quick at thinking on their feet, couldn't even finish a sentence in the time it took her to finish an omelet. And I just loved that. That's great. And actually, I'm not sure that there's more than one clip of Julia on David Letterman, but you can see that on YouTube. And you see how masterful she is as both an expert and an entertainer and how she could hold her own with comedians as tough as David Letterman, too. Absolutely. And that not an ideal cooking circumstance. I mean, I'm sure she had control somewhat over what you were using and, and everything, but like to, to be able to execute something in an educational and informative way. And also, like you said, entertain and just be the person that made us all, you know, how much, how many people actually fell in love with food and cooking because of Julia and how many people actually just fell in love with Julia. We may never know. (laughs) 
Exactly. You know, no, it is just, it's just amazing to watch the old shows. And the, the, the French Chef episode on omelet making is just, to me, a marvel. It's one of the earlier color episodes, which is, makes, makes it one of the later French Chef episodes. And Julia does several things in this episode, If you and part of the clip is on our website, where, first of all, she starts talking about making omelets and all the different things you can do. And then she talks about giving her mother-in-law, who she actually never knew, um, a, a liver omelet. So she's making jokes. And then she starts doing math about how many omelets you could make for a dinner party. And on camera live is calculating how many omelets, like something most people can't do with paper. She's doing live on television, on camera, while making an actual omelet. (laughs) I mean, that's exactly it. And that also shows exactly what I was talking about earlier in this conversation, too, of how powerful that muscle memory in the kitchen is. Because she could probably have made that omelet with a blindfold and, uh, you know, and over an open fire and, and, and it would have still come out just like perfect every time. So there you go. There must be a video of someone trying that now. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure and uh, always so fun to, to think about Julia and especially how I know Everyone who comes on your podcast has stories of how she inspired them. But um, I was so excited to get your invitation because I could talk about Julia. We could have talked about her the entire time and I would have been very happy. So thank you. Well, my pleasure. And that's also because we make them have that story. So it's (laughs) not not just coincidence, but thank you for acting like it is. Um, (laughs) We'll be right back with more Julia moments you won't want to miss. The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. We cover avenues for accessing grants, loans, and financial services through federal and local government programs, as well as via nonprofits. We examine the benefits worker cooperatives present to workers, communities, and our food system, and share resources to learn more about operating under this model. We're talking to business owners who started pop-ups and became permanent during the pandemic to see what we can learn. Don't miss these episodes. Subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to TD Bank for supporting this programming. Welcome back. Today we're celebrating what would have been Julia's 109th birthday, featuring some of our favorite Julia moments from our last three seasons. Our next collection of Julia moments showcase Julia the teacher. As the recently published compendium, Julia quotes, people who love to eat are always the best people, demonstrates, Julia was good at teaching us more than just cooking. Her wisdom offers not only guidance in the kitchen, but life lessons too. First up is the creator of Sorel Liqueur, distiller and writer Jackie Summers. In episode 114, Jackie shared that his lesson came as much from his mother as Julia. His mother said, if you can read, you can cook. This lesson rang true during the height of the pandemic, helping many of us make meal after meal while stuck at home. Julia was right by our side. Sales of Mastering the Art of French Cooking soared during the pandemic period. And if you're a cat lover, like Julia, this one's for you. 
Jackie, what's your Julia moment? So I grew up as a child whose mother made everything from scratch. I didn't know what store-bought bread tasted like until I was 13 or 14. Lucky you. One of the earliest things I remember my mother telling us is, if you can read and follow instructions, you can do anything. She said that, and I realized, being taught to read at three years old, that the majority of her books were cookbooks. And I'm old enough to remember Julia Child being on TV. I remember I had this one moment where I saw the cookbook in her library and saw the person on the television, and I realized, this is the same person. I can do this because I can read and follow instructions. I can do anything. That was my Julia Child moment. Oh, that's so lovely. I love that. And uh, lucky you that you grew up in a household uh, where everything was homemade. It, it, it was the best, and it's something that I believe in entirely. This is the beauty of something like a cookbook is it's data transfer. And it's, it's, not, just, it's not just information, it's culture. It's freedom. Uh, I've been stuck in this house by myself now for the last 11 months with my cat. And the fact that I can now have access to all these recipes means I'm not going crazy getting tired of my own cooking. I can make my own food. I can bake bread. I can make sauces. I can pickle. I can ferment. I can do anything, again, because I can read and follow instructions. That is a great way to phrase it. And I think I feel like we arrived at this moment in thinking about Julia's legacy that as awful as the pandemic has been, I'd feel like if Julia was still here, she'd be like, see, see what I was telling you? It was going to matter to know how to cook and have the resources and you say to be able to read and follow directions. Yeah. And I have to say, you definitely want to check out Jackie's Instagram. You have the most amazing cat, and I'm not even a cat person, but Julia was. Can you just tell us your cat's name and what makes him, is it a him, distinctive? It's a him. His official, his full name is uh, Major Bowie Stardust Esquire, uh, but he has the name Bowie because he has one bright blue eye and one bright green eye. Yeah, he's. I've never seen a cat like it. And I, did you know that that Julia was a huge cat fan? I did not know that. Yes, there, there's more than one book about Julia's love of cats, and any um, photo of Julia and cats on social media will get massive attention. So for cat fans out there, you should check out Jackie's feed. So, so do you call him Bowie? By Is that his short name? Uh, Bowie is his name. Uh, but lately he goes by Mr. Murderpose because he really needs to get his nails clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jackie, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing both um, the joy of what you do and the deep thinking of what you do and for your Julia moment. We appreciate it. An absolute honor and a pleasure. Please stay safe out there. Our next lesson from Julia comes from food and drinks writer Julia Bainbridge, who in episode 118 shares Julia's evergreen teaching that it's never too late to find your path, as well as the value of taking your time to get there. All right, Julia, what's your Julia moment? It's it's more than a moment, but and Todd, you need to correct me on the history if I'm wrong about this. Okay, I but will. Based on my research or my knowledge of Julia Child, you know, 
things popped off, if you will, for her sort of later in life or at, at, at middle age. Um, yes. Mastering the art of French cooking was published when she was 49, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a great foil to the stress we all feel when we see the annual Forbes 30 under 30 list. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Those are so mean. Um, we have this feeling that we, um, need to be successful now or should have been when we were young and that if you're not, then you're doomed. Um, and I think that Julia's career, um, and life, wasn't she married at 34? Well, yes, I can't remember exactly how old she was, but she was, yeah, would have been considered a spinster in her day. And exactly right. Yeah. 34, not, not old by any means, but I imagine, um, well, for when she was was living late. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I'm 38 and unmarried and I think I just found the love of my life. We'll see. Um, and, uh, and also I'm sort of after, a career of being kind of a generalist in my food writing came to, came to this, this beat of alcohol free drinks, um, somewhat later into it. Um, and, um, in fact, starting grad school to, I'll continue writing about this, but I'm beginning grad school in the fall to do something, um, completely different and starting sort of a whole another career that may dovetail nicely into the loneliness stuff that you mentioned at the top of the episode. So I'm inspired by, by Julia um, taking her time to come to um, her true passions and success. Oh, that's great. And I think that that is one of the symbolic things that so many people appreciate appreciate about Julia and what she accomplished and what she represents, that it's never too late and that there's not one age when you can discover your passion. And if it is later than you would have liked or other people expected, it doesn't matter. It's still worthwhile. And um I thank you for for selecting that inspiration from Julia. Yeah, there's there's one other in in case um, too many people have used that as their Julia moment. <laughs> <laughs> there are no limits. There are no limits. <laughs> I think that um, also the time she took with the projects themselves. I think I read somewhere she spent as many as nineteen hours preparing for each half hour segment of of um, you know one of her shows, and that. <laughs> Um, it took 10 years of devoting herself to writing and testing and rewriting for, um, the book, Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And, um, I think also in this era when we're publishing so much (laughs) and so fast, um, I'm comforted, um, by Julia's having taken her time, um, because that's what I require too, to do good work. And I constantly feel like my peers are able to be excellent and do it, you know, quickly and often. And I'm not quite that way. I, I, um, need to take more time, publish things, um, more slowly. And, um, Julia's my, the patron saint of that for me. (laughs) That's true. I think Julia was very thorough. And I think For you, Julia, I think for those who check out your book, you'll see that. It's a very sensitively and deeply crafted work with, as we've talked about, many layers of complexity, um, which I really appreciated and I know Julia would have. And I think that that is much to be admired and sometimes, but not always underappreciated. And I kind of hope we're moving and continuing to move in an age where, where that in many facets of living 
as we become less materialistic and more concerned with learning and experiences is valued. I agree with you. That may be one of the silver linings of the pandemic, that for those of us who are privileged to be at home and safe, um, we've also been forced to slow down. And um, I have realized that um, I function much better with a less full social calendar. (laughs) I certainly miss my friends, but I think that this is teaching me about um, some of the ways in which I want to um, live when we emerge from this. Well, that's nice. And I think Julia would have said it too. Balance. The balances. There was a bit of a mania, particularly amongst people interested in food and drink, that you had to just be out all the time, right. you know, photographing your food. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your, your knowledge and inspiration of good drinks. Thank you, Todd. Our third Julia the Teacher moment comes from episode 127 with chef and farmer Matthew Rayford. Matthew shares a recurring Julia moment mention, her teaching that it's okay to make mistakes in the kitchen and by extension, in life. Matthew, what's your Julia moment? It's amazing that you played that clip just now because one of the things I was going to say was Julia was never afraid to make a mistake. Not that you saw. And like the way she just said it just now, she was like, I didn't have the courage to do this exact thing. However, if I would have, this is how it would have come out. Like being able to, to, to actually say that what you were doing didn't come out the way you wanted it to has, has helped me shape how I look at food and how I approach cooking that I may slip and make mistakes. There are going to be those times because I'm human, you know? And I think that that also is one of those things that helped shaped me into like the chef that I am and just seeing someone else that's able to say, eh, you know, this could have came out better. However, it's good, <laughs> you know? And I mean, have, I really don't think there has been anyone that has said it like that since Julia, mm. you know, I don't think any, every, everyone, everything is, uh, no, I when think Julia that's made a dish. Right. When, when Julia Childs made a dish, it was what it was when she finished it. There wasn't all of the like uh, what they call the. The food show thing where like this is how you make it and this is what it would look like when you finish it. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It was like mm-hmm. this is how you make it and this is what it came out as. Oops, I made a mistake. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. but here's, you know, and I think that that means a lot. That chefs are not this one rigid thing, right? That it's much bigger, right? And that if you want to walk in those shoes and walk behind the most amazing uh, folks that have been out there and have put us out there and have have brought food to the world like it is, because we can't be afraid to make mistakes. And we can't be afraid to not identify with those mistakes, And move on past them and say, well, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. The dish burnt on the bottom. But if I'd have turned it down a little bit earlier, it wouldn't have happened. Great. I I, I love how much you appreciate that. And and I I think that's the, I mean, it's sort of the non-mystery of Julia is her 
ability to convey that and to release people from that. And I'm struck by what you're saying that actually where food television is moved is mm-hmm. more toward the perfection, right? The, right. the, the judging is on presentation, right? Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. though I always think I love it when like, it's always the most tasting food that wins. And the, if your presentation is great, but the food isn't, it doesn't taste right, then you'll lose. But there's still more <laughs> emphasis on, right? Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, you know, it, it means everything. You know, and and for me, it means everything. And you know, I I I feel very honored and humbled to even be on the show with you, Todd. Um, to even have a chance to to talk about um, kind of like I said, a mentor that I never met. You know, it's uh, it does a lot. Well, we are honored and humbled to have you on and uh, to hear about your journey, which takes has taken a lot of courage and to hear and learn about your mentors like your Nana and your father and uh, the work you do with your sister. So thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you so very much for having me. Get in touch. Send us an email or a voice memo to contact juliachildfoundation.org or better yet, tweet us at juliachildjcf and let us know what you think about today's show. Even better, please feel free to share your own Julia moment with us. It's not too late. You can still register to join the Santa Barbara Culinary Experience, me and Julia's great-nephew, Alex Prudhomme, in conversation with directors Julie Cohen and Betsy West, the Oscar-nominated filmmakers of RBG, to celebrate Julia's birthday and get an exclusive sneak peek at the new Imagine Entertainment and Sony Pictures Classics documentary all about Julia. You can participate from wherever you'll be on August 15th. Go to sbce.events to sign up. It's free with a donation to our nonprofit partner, Community Health Centers of the Central Coast. Stay with us. We'll be right back with some of our most poignant Julia moments yet. You might want to grab a hanky. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. You may have noticed that we have a whole new look. We also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before. HRN is the original food podcast network. And as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history, I want to ask you to invest in HRN for the long haul. If you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet, become a monthly sustaining member today. Our members keep the voice of America's food movement alive and kicking. Your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on Heritage Radio Network. Your contribution helps give HRN the security we need to stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic, and your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio. Plus, we like to give our regular members special treatment. So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors and special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So can you make a gift of five or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate.
Welcome back. Today we're celebrating what would have been Julia's 109th birthday, featuring some of our favorite Julia moments from our last three seasons. This last set represents how much of a guiding light Julia remains. At the foundation, and with many of our partner organizations, we often use the phrase, the power of Julia. Things that involve Julia or legacy are simply magic. These last three Julia moments reflect the power of spirit Julia had, not only in public, but also in private. We lead with one of the most unexpected Julia moments we've had so far on the show, from writer Alice Randall. Alice joined us in episode 121 to talk about editing the Oxford American's food issue, but she came armed with a stunner of a Julia moment, personal, profound, and deeply moving. It couldn't have made me prouder about being a steward of Julia's legacy, especially after all that the last two years have wrought. Here's Alice. Alice, what's your Julia moment? Well, there are several, because I literally have to say that I am not sure that there is another writer that I have actually met that had more impact on my life than Julia Child. Wow, Um, okay. Do tell. So I will start with the most dramatic and funny one. Okay. And then I'll go back to the most significant one. In about 19, sometime in 1978, I was at Harvard and I cold called Julia Child. I looked up her phone number in the phone book and I, she answered the phone and I asked her if she would do a semester long independent work with me at Harvard for credit. And she said, yes. Wow. And I started, I would walk over to her house and we took up, my project was to look at 19th century American high tea. She introduced me to the Schlesinger Library, but to jump to the chase, the most important thing I learned that semester was not how or why high tea disappeared from America in the 19th century. It was that she told me, you think you're interested in food. You think I'm a food person. I am a writer and you are a writer too. She literally told me that in her own house. Oh, I love that. And, and, and we did not have this conversation when I wrote my introduction. So that's no, I could fair. not even <laughs> believe that you were saying that she literally told me you are a writer. I had just founded Harvard Friends of Food, which was a short-lived organization because it was so successful. We had to disband it. And she shared with me her literal butcher. So I am that black woman who was riding from on the subway with a giant stunning filet to make beef wellington on a hall out of a hall kitchen at Harvard. Because Julia Child had asked her butcher to do his best for me. But that's not as significant as telling me that I was really a writer. That's not as significant as sharing some stories about her life with her husband that I will not go into. But my husband ended up, my first husband ended up being a State Department person, officer. And I ended up in Manila during the revolution. And part of how I knew how to be a wife of and still keep my own thing going was what Julia Child had told me. But let's go back before I cold called Julia Child. And she works with me for a semester and invites me into her own home. 
When I was a little girl in Detroit, Michigan, both of my grandmothers were born, lived, they weren't born. Both of them lived in Black Bottom. My mother was born, was a little girl there. But that was 59. In the early days of the 60s, we moved from Detroit in 1968. I was literally kidnapped by my mother, stolen away from my father who had to find detectives to follow and find me and things of the sort and moved to Washington, D.C. from Detroit. What prepared me for that new world? What prepared me to walk from my almost all Black world of Detroit into Georgetown Day School, a liberal integrated school in Washington, D.C. and Thrive? What was my only profound connection to the white world at that point? The Julia Child television show. (laughs) I had watched it on Detroit public television. It was my favorite show. And she had introduced me to a whole world that the moment I got to Washington, one of the things I wanted to do was taste chocolate mousse and could do it then. (laughs) Another thing, when I knew to when we were studying the Vikings, I made Viking barley soup because I had heard Julia tell the gospel of taste the past by the food you cook in your kitchen now. Julia Child was my link to a larger world. And when I got into that larger world, she was my anchor to my past back in Detroit because Julia Child on that TV was in my all black world. So when I refound her at Harvard, it was the first time my Detroit world and my Washington world came together in her Cambridge kitchen. So when I got to teach, no, when I got to cook and teach on the main stage of the National Museum of American History at the Smithsonian with my daughter and walk, see through glass, the kitchen I had seen, the pots and pans I had held in my own hand because Julia Child had been that generous to me as to welcome me, an unknown 19, 20-year-old, into her home and say, you are a writer. That once upon a time in a hard childhood, I had three books. One of them was Mastering the Art of French Cooking. I can cook every recipe in that book. And I cooked with Julia Child, the one, Julia Child and Company. I was a 22-year-old who used to make kulubiak from her (laughs) recipes. When I set up house with three boys in Washington, D.C., when I graduated from school, Julia Child had given me with those two cookbooks. I also had The Joy of Cooking and The New York Times Craig Clamborn Menu Cookbook. But when I had very little and an extremely negligent mother, I had those three books to cook my way into a larger world so that Julia Child would walk into my life. And what was wild about it too, you were part of the Julia Child Foundation. Mm-hmm. You've got to go back to 1978. And she is now a god in our food world and a god in American culture. But in 1978, when I reached out to her and she said yes, she wasn't recognized as a scholar. And so she couldn't sign off on the paperwork. The president of Radcliffe, Martina Horner, said she would sign off. And I'm not going to call the man's name. I thought about doing it. But there was a very important scholar still alive today 
who was over the department who could decide it, he said that neither of these two women, Julia Child nor Martina Horner, could sign off on that paperwork. That he, but he would do it because he was a very important scholar. Julia Child allowed herself to be injured in that way, to stand by me and let me do that work. She supported me in that writing, even when Harvard said, you're not qualified to say, to sign this paperwork. Even when they told Martina Horner with her doctorate that she wasn't qualified to review the work. But when we had done the work, he said, well done. I've never spoken to that man since. I won't even call his name. But I called Julia Child's name because she didn't just write, do that TV show that inspired me. I'm not the only six, seven, eight, nine-year-old Black girl that she introduced to a large world. She didn't just write those books that were so well-written and allowed me to take eggs and simple things and have great adventures when no one was sending me to a summer camp. My summer camp, year after year, was cooking through her cookbook. Then she welcomed me into her home. And when she had to experience structural sexism, she hung her head low, didn't make a fuss, and did it. So essentially was doing it without credit and without pay. That woman is a hero on the front pages and a hero behind the scenes. And she is a person. She was the unexpected ally. I gave a lot of people in the Oxford American, this is their first article, and they all didn't look like me. One of the people, more than one, that is new in this issue is a white man. Julia Child didn't look for people that look like her to give chances to. I am proud of the fact there are a lot of Black women in this issue because Black women experience a tremendous number of structural obstacles to doing this and even structural obstacles to being on this podcast. To do this, I had to even remember this morning how hard it was to be 19, 20 years old and having some person, a white man, want to use the fact that Julia Child wanted to work with me and I wanted to work with her as an opportunity to say that neither of us were scholars. And one of us never would be. Well, that man wasn't right. But that story doesn't happen without Julia Child. So there is pain and there is joy. And I will never forget her reminding me that a lot of it is about how well you cook that everyday omelet that you make for yourself. So I love the Kulubiaks and I love the everyday omelet. And I am thrilled, Todd, that you gave me a chance to pay it forward and tell this part of the story that behind the scenes, she was even more extraordinary than she was in front of the cameras. Well, I am thrilled to have the chance to hear that really incredible story. And I thank you very much for joining us today and, and sharing all that you have and all that you've done with this food issue. So my thanks and gratitude to you, Alice. If you need to hit the pause to take all that in, we get it. In episode 125, 
Washington Post food writer Daniela Galarza talked about Julia's legacy from a very specific day in the course of her culinary training. It was right around this time of year, two days before Julia's birthday, that Daniela remembers. Daniela, what's your Julia moment? Well, I think like a lot of people, I remember watching Julia Child on television as a kid, and I remember being um, sort of bewitched by her energy and enthusiasm for cooking and um, her, you know, keep going attitude when something goes wrong in the kitchen. And that certainly helped inspire me to go into uh, writing about food and cooking and going to culinary school. And it was in culinary school that I had my Julia moment. It was in the middle of a class on, I think it was Pat Brise on August 13th, 2004. The oh, two days before Julia's birthday. Two days before Julia's birthday, but it was during that class that the president of the school got on the speaker and said, it is with our deepest sadness that we are to report that Julia Child has passed away. Yeah. And we were crushed. Um, the school, the students in the school, there were, I think, three classes in session, all sort of gathered together in one classroom. And some people were crying. There was a lot of just, just sadness um, in the air. It was somewhat unexpected, I think, for all of us. But mm. it was there was no doubt that we were all really in awe of her and that she had inspired all of us. And I remember thinking that the fact that it, um, that that announcement happened while I was in class uh, learning a recipe I had seen her make on television was paradoxically sort of a message to keep going, to really push on. Um, and to use the energy that she sort of gave all of us throughout her life um, to propel us all forward as as far as we could go. Oh, that's lovely. I mean, it is. It was was a sad day. I remember I was actually in France when I got the news, and it it was very. You felt like this light had gone out, but I think you know. Having this conversation today, it's her legacy was so wide and she impacted so many people that have just created thousands of Julia's in the world. And that that is a, a very um, hopeful thing. So, yes, thank you very much for sharing that story. Our final Julia moment is fully celebratory. In episode 131, we talked to San Francisco chef Nancy Oakes about what it takes to create positive restaurant culture. A key tenant is mutual respect between employers and employees. Nancy's Julia moment conveys just that. Nancy, what's your Julia moment? Well, I have I have a lot of them actually over the years. Um, my husband uh, Bruce Adels was a great favorite of uh, Julia's, so I got to spend uh, a decent amount of time with her, and uh, I even got to meet her her sister from Sausalito, who is more Julia than Julia in a way she's taller than Julia, 
tells funnier jokes than Julia. That was a good, <laughs> to think that there were two of them out there was just unbelievable for me. Uh, in their just their physical presence. But my favorite time was Julia came into Boulevard, and this was early days. This was probably in the I don't know mid nineties maybe. And she, you know, we get our fair share of very famous people and very recognizable people, and they always attract attention. And, you know, there's always a few people who want to go over and say hello or whatever's going on. But when Julia came in and got to her table before she sat down, everybody in the restaurant, and this is a year we're talking about 200 people probably, you know, or maybe at least 150 people, all stood up. Nobody said anything. It didn't, it was just completely from within them. They stood up and the whole crowd started applauding and slightly moving toward her. And it was the most amazing thing to see. And she was just as gracious and fabulous as she always had been. It was just what a big person she was. Well, that's amazing. I think that's such a great moment, too, because it's so reflective of what I said at the beginning and then what you said about how you developed it and, and that that sense of shared value. And, and I think people did that right because they felt respected by Julia and in return, they so respected what she was doing. The love that that crowd poured out towards her was like nothing. I've, you know, I've never seen it for anybody else. It was all Julia. Thanks for joining us to celebrate Julia's birthday and savor some of our favorite Julia moments. To be the first to hear about next season's shows, make sure you're following us. It's at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. It's at Julia Child JCF and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The latest from the Santa Barbara Culinary Experience is on SBCE.events and at SB Culinary Experience on Instagram. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks to my co-producer at the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Matt Patterson. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Veltorni. Please give us a review. It really helps new listeners discover the show. If you can do it on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, all the better. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcast. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next season on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Inside Julia's Kitchen is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.